it's a new month, so a new series on what we're thinking about. And uh, this one's going to last till the end of November. And so what we want to do is think about, especially, the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Now, probably all of you, at some time, I'd hope, have read the Bible. But maybe you think, that book, a bit of Revel- that book of Revelation is a bit mysterious, a bit bizarre, a bit strange. Ooh, and what's going to be happening over the next few weeks then? What's, what's gonna, what are they going to be talking about? The good thing is, there's a, well, there's two sides, of, two sides of a coin. The good thing is, the first three chapters are pretty easy to understand. The bad thing is, it's quite difficult to apply it. Because God is very straightforward. And he says, A, B, and C. And what does he expect? A, B, and C. Doesn't he? Whereas sometimes when there's something in the Bible that says A, B, and C, we'd rather not go X, Y, Z, because that would be too far away, wouldn't it? But we'd perhaps go a bit of F, G, H, because that's fairly close to what God's saying. So that's kind of all right, surely. We're going to be thinking a lot about Revelation and really thinking about the challenges of what John's saying and what John's written. He was concerned for his brothers and sisters because they were going through a really terrible time. And we'll get to hear more about that over the next few weeks as well as today. He wrote them a letter. And like most forms of communication, in the letter was both a challenge and a comfort. And John's going to come and read the first chapter for us now, just so we can hear like the setting out of what John's thinking about. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophet, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. What is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before this throne, his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. 
so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So John wrote this 2,000 years ago to encourage his brothers and sisters. And he was on the island of Patmos. That's in the Aegean Sea. Don't know about you. I've been on lots of holidays. Some of them been into islands. Really great time. Had lovely food. Great company. Lots of lovely activities. It has been wonderful. And when things are going well, you just think, God is really close to me. God is lovely. 
God is just there, isn't he? Because things are going well. Here's the three of us, four years ago. You wouldn't be able to guess where we are from there, but it's the Isle of Wight. We'd just been going to where Queen Victoria liked to be, actually. So that was where we were there four years ago. So holidays on an island, brilliant. The trouble was, John didn't use TripAdvisor to go to Patmos. He didn't look at all the great hotels and all the things that he could do before he went. John wasn't on holiday. John was sent there by the Roman authorities. He'd been sent into exile. The church was under persecution. To him, it wasn't Patmos as a lovely place to go. But Patmos was a bit like this. Do you remember where this is? Alcatraz. Imagine going to Alcatraz. Remember, Alcatraz was a prison in the San Francisco Bay between 1934 and 1963. I want you to imagine going to Uh, Alcatraz yourself that's a bit like John going to Patmos it wasn't a beach towel holiday he was in exile things were pretty bad for him he wanted to go God's way his attitude was saying Lord I'm following you I don't care what other people say because the big thing at the time was that the uh, Roman emperor Domitian uh, was what we think it was in John's time he wanted to be Lord God and saviour to all the people all his people but if you're a Christian you can't say oh the Roman emperor he's God he's Lord he's our saviour because there is only one Lord only one saviour and so it was bound to happen that if the Christians stood up for what they believed in, they were going to get to be noticed by the Roman authorities. That they'd understand that the Christians didn't believe what the Romans wanted them to believe. They were having a time of tribulation. That's kind of an old-fashioned word, isn't it? But still true. They were going under great suffering. And so John was sent into exile to prison, it's a penal colony you could think of. And so Patmos wasn't a place of pleasure physically. I've th- thought of lots of peas so, because it's Patmos. This is the thing that was going on. He was under persecution, pressure. There was prejudice against his beliefs. He was under pain, under what physical pain, not just spiritual and emotional pain he went under. There had been a sense of powerlessness. And he'd be perplexed. It's one of my favourite words. Perplexed. Why, God? I'm only doing what you asked me to do. I'm only doing what you said. Why, Lord, is it like this? There's an easy answer. Again, it's two sides of a coin. There's an easy answer, but it's a difficult answer. If you remember, if you were here last week, Paul read out uh, a poem by Andre. And I've just taken... Three short phrases, I'm going to put them on the screen. All of the uh, poems on our website anyway, so if you, if you weren't here, I'd really encourage you to have a look at it and think about it. But here are three short phrases from Andre's poem. Welcome to the battlefield of obedience, to the spiritual warfare of knowing Christ. So when I fail and never call, dearest Lord, catch my fall. 
When the evil one confronts you with lies, all he wants is your soul and your Jesus eyes. We're on a battlefield. Whether we think about it and say, yes, we're on a battlefield or not, we definitely are. Last week, Paul also reminded us about our enemy, about the devil. And he was saying that the enemy is actively trying to get us back into his camp. He doesn't want us to be Christians. He doesn't want us to follow the gods that we know. He wants us to turn our backs on God. And he uses deceit and doubt and lies. It's strange, though. Sometimes when Jill and I see an obvious devil poke at us, we have a laugh. <laughs> that, was God, that was the devil again trying to poke us. The thing is, some of them are obvious, are they? In fact, often what the devil does isn't obvious. It's subtle. And it causes us pain and anguish, doesn't it? But God is calling us and saying, think about what John was like on the island of Patmos. He could have been saying, Lord, this is too difficult. Can't do this. I'm just going to keep my head down. And hopefully in five years' time, I'll go out of exile. And then I'll start praising you again. Then I'll start delivering your word again. Then I'll start telling people that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. John didn't do that. He didn't turn his back on God and say, this is too hard. He said, I'm going to follow you. It doesn't matter what comes my way. I've given my life to you. I'm going to follow you. Sometimes, perhaps, it's easy just to surrender to the situation and say, well, that's not very nice. I don't want to be pulled apart by the enemy. I'll just do quiet things for God. Then that'll be okay. I wonder sometimes, do we just surrender to the devil? Do we surrender to sin? It's just the way I am. I've been like it for years. It's it's my character. You have to just put up with that. Don't surrender to the devil. Sin can't be ignored. Sin can't be justified. You can't compromise with sin. Sin corrodes. Sin leads to death. And just thinking about uh, Andre's words about your Jesus eyes, sin makes us take our eyes off Jesus. So the things that niggle us, it might take our eyes off Jesus and it's something that we need to just say, Lord, help me to get myself right with friends or family or whoever it might be, because I want my eyes back on you, Lord. You might remember the person who wrote Hebrews in chapter 12. He said, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Here's the important bit. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's lots of great verbs there. But the writer is saying, yes, look to Jesus. He's the one that's going to stir us and help us and encourage us even when things are tricky. Look to Jesus. And probably all through the ages when people have looked to Jesus, their attitudes and their lives have changed. Here's just one example from Acts 19. It's verses 17 to 20. And uh, Paul's in Ephesus. That's one of the churches that uh, John was writing to. And amazing things had happened. And it says, when this became known to the Jews, this is Acts 19, it became known to the Jews something amazing had happened. Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, uh, became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus. They were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachma. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So in Acts, we read about how these new believers, these people that have been sort of not even perhaps believing at the time, but they've been stirred and thought, oh, Jesus is saying... This is how it needs to be. They just turned their back on the old things. They didn't just sell these scrolls to someone else and make a nice pocket of money and then give it to the church. They said, this is corrupting. This is bad. I can't compromise. This has to be, sol- this has to be destroyed. I wonder. A rusty VW Beetle. In someone's hands... That could be restored. I don't know. I'm not a car specialist. I don't know. Maybe it's gone too far. But perhaps not. What I'm suggesting is, in the right hands, that could be transformed. In our own natural selves, we're all rusty heaps of stuff, aren't we really? But Jesus has paid the cost to transform us all. A restoration in our lives can take place. We can all become new creations. And it's up to us whether we put our foot down and say, Lord, I don't want the transformation to carry on. It's a bit too tricky. I don't want you to take that bit of rust off me. Or we can say, Lord, in your gentle way or sometimes in your strong way, Lord, will you continue to help me? I think of Psalm 51. And in the International Standard Version, it says, God, create a pure heart in me and renew a right attitude within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and let a willing attitude control me. John could have given up on his difficulties. He was in exile. He wasn't on the Isle of Wight having a joyful time on a beach. He was in exile. Things were pretty terrible for him. But his attitude was, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what he says. Perhaps he probably said, I'm just guessing, get lost, devil. I'm going God's way. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. 
as the song goes. He'd met the resurrected Jesus a few years before, a few decades before. He'd been, the day, he'd been in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit had come. He'd been changed. He'd surrendered to God. He got his white flag out and say, Lord, you are the one I'm surrendering to. I'm not surrendering to the enemy when life is difficult. Lord, whatever happens, you are my saviour. I'm going to follow you. Maybe that's what Paul and Silas in Acts 16 did. You remember, they'd been following God and doing what God said. And all of, because of that, they were chucked in prison. I wonder what it would have been like if they'd have started moaning. I did this for God. That's how he repays us. I thought God loved me. They weren't like that. They'd surrendered to God. They'd said, Lord, whatever the cost, to me personally, I'm going to follow you. They praised God. All the prisoners were wondering what was going on. And then it was a miracle. And people got saved. They worshipped God. And they said, whatever the cost, Lord, I'm surrendering to you. We can do the same. Wherever we are this week, whatever we're doing, whether it's difficult, and for many of us it could be, or will be, we can still say, Lord, this week, in my life, I'm surrendering to you. It's a simple thing to pray, Lord, whatever happens, I love you, and I know you love me. Be glorified in my thoughts, word, and actions. It's a simple thing to pray, but it has huge consequences. Just like this carol, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him. Give my heart. And that's really what God's asking us to do. As we look over the next few weeks about these seven letters, it's all about our heart attitude. Our heart attitude. We can read about Revelation and say, oh yes, it was for those churches. They were in a bit of a pickle about things and they were doing some good things and yet they were doing some not good things. And we could just put it back 2,000 years and say, yep, it's all for them. And it was. They were real churches and real, had real problems as well as real blessings. But it's up to all of us to listen and say, Lord, help me to know we haven't got the time to read it now, but in Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19, Habakkuk is saying, Lord, I am surrendered to you. If the bad things happen, I can't even grow enough food or have the sheep and cattle that I need, I'm going to praise you. You are the one. I surrender to you. Alex uh, recommended a book to me a few weeks ago. It's a great big, thick book, but these next few slides are based on the book that Alex recommended to me. It's really good by David Pawson. Just very briefly, so we can split Revelation into different sections, the present, the future. And so if you want to, you can look at all this on our website. It's just saying, yeah, 
the, uh, there's bad things that are happening now and in the future, but great things are going to happen eventually. And the amazing thing is, it's all because of one person. Chapter 19, Jesus returns. The whole thing changes because Jesus returns. So have a think about that yourself, but we're just going to keep on going because otherwise we'll be here till half past one and our lunch will be burnt. So we're going to keep on going. Oh, I love a Greek word. How about you? Yeah. Oh, double Dutch I like just as much. So that's, that's great. I bet you know this word. If I was going to say it, or anyone else was going to say it, you'd know the word, wouldn't you? Apocalypse. That's the first word in Greek in the book of Revelation. Now, of course, you might sort of think, apocalypse, terrible things are going to happen, it's catastrophe, big things are happening. And that's one meaning of it. But also, it means a disclosure of knowledge, unveiling and uncovering, a revealing. But it's not just any revealing, It's it's Jesus being revealed. So when you read the start of Revelation, you can think, oh yeah, the revelation of Jesus Christ or from Jesus Christ. So the revelation is all about Jesus. He's the linchpin of the book. He's the linchpin of history. And a lot of uh, revelation is symbolic, maybe, and it's hard to understand. And a lot of it sort of is using uh, language from Ezekiel and Zechariah and Daniel. But the important thing is, John is saying all these things that are going to happen are the fulfillment of what these Old Testament prophets were saying. It's not just, oh, God's decided something different. God said, this is my plan. And this is what he'd said to the Old Testament prophets. Christ triumphs. Christ wins in the end. We're on the winning team. How about the map then? If we're going to go and think about where the places were, we could say, well, Patmos is there, like we said in the Aegean Sea earlier, and then you could just make a really uh, quick visit to all of these uh, churches. Only about a 50-mile journey, something like that, to visit all of them. Take quite a while in those times, maybe, but they were close to each other. And some people say uh, that... There was more Christians in this part of the world, a greater concentration of Christians in this part of the world at that time than in any other place in the world at that time. So you can imagine God had a great plan in sending this book, this letter, to those churches because they'd read it and then lots of other people would read it from there. There's loads of stuff I'm missing out. I get so excited about reading the Bible. I just write pages and pages. If you want to read the stuff I'm missing out, just read it on the website. It's pretty easy, isn't it? Let's move on a little bit more. So we could have talked about Paul's letter. And just as the seven letters, seven places that John sent his letters to, so a coincidence, or maybe not, I don't know, does it even matter, that Paul sent letters to seven churches as well? Does it matter? I don't know. Let's move on a bit. Here's a structure of the first sort of uh, few chapters, sort of saying what each of them's about. They're very much the same. Again, if you want to read it, and hopefully you will, have a look on the website. That will be fine. Oh, thank you. The big thing is, each church was given an appraisal of where they were going and what they were doing. Some of you will know that I'm a music teacher part-time in schools. 
And once a year, a senior teacher comes along and watches me teach for an hour or so. It's really good because at the end of it, they tell you, oh, this was good, this was good, this was good. Have you thought about doing that? And I think, thank you very much. I haven't thought about that. That's really interesting. I'll make sure I'll do that in my lesson plans in future. That kind of thing. So for me, an appraisal is a really positive thing. And probably in your works, you'll get an appraisal every year. You just sort of listen to what the person says and put it into practice. And thank you very much. All is good. This is what's going on with the churches in Revelation. They're saying, God is saying, great, great, great. Well done. Just like we said, ABC is really good. Now, what about this? What about that? What about your lifestyle? What about the way you think? And so each of those churches are getting an appraisal about how God deems them. But why are we thinking about listening? That was the biggest word on there, apart from God, is listen. So why are we thinking about listening being so important over the next few weeks? What is God saying? And then I said, what did God say to the seven churches in the book of Revelation? Are things any different in 2018? The important thing is, God calls us to listen, but not just that. Here's one of the verses that comes out so regularly in all of these letters. And this is from the Passion Translation. So the one whose heart is open, let him listen carefully to what the Spirit is presently saying to all the churches. That's the phrase. And again, just going back just a a few minutes, looking at Greek New Testament or online... It's this lovely word at the top. And again, you know this word, akuo, acoustic. And this word means I hear, listen, and comprehend by hearing. But if you just sort of look in uh, a, a few books more, you don't just sort of get a basic sort of straightforward definition. You get this figurative idea. Akuo which is what the Spirit is saying to us, is to hear God's voice which prompts him to birth faith within us. So when we hear something and perhaps we're stirred in our hearts, it's God saying, yes, listen to what I'm saying, but I'm going to equip you. I'm going to help you move forward with me. It's an active verb. It's not something where we can say in one ear and out of the other. As God speaks to us, so we have to say, Lord, I surrender to you. I'm going to not just give up on something that's tricky, but I'm going to go all the way with you, Lord. What would you say, and you can give me the uh, uh, answer if you like, what is the most important uh, characteristic of a good musician? What do you think? What does a good musician need to be able to do? Hopefully, I've dropped several subtle hints over the last few minutes. Listen, right. If you don't listen, as a musician, you can practice as much as you like, but you'll still be rubbish, being blunt. And some people say, practice makes perfect, but it's not true at all. If you practice a lot at making your mistakes, you'll be really good at making your mistakes, won't you? You're not going to get better. You're just going to get really good at playing badly. In our lives, God is saying... Don't just practice your mistakes. Akuo, let me birth something into you. 
so that you don't get condemned and feel terrible about someone speaking. But God's going to do something and encourage you. So it might seem a little hurdle or a big hurdle, but God is going to say, I'm going to help you over it. It's all okay. So this means it's not just listening, but it's action. And the Amplified Bible says, he, was an, he who has an ear, let him hear and heed what the Spirit says to the churches. So we're not just going to listen, but we're going to act as well. What is God saying to NCF? There's bound to be good things, brilliant things, some okay things, and some, oh, we need to change things. But it's the same in our lives individually as well, isn't it? God's going to say, thumbs up for doing A, B, and C. But he's going to be saying, have you thought about so-and-so, as well as you need to stop so-and-so. Coming back to the car again. There's maybe in our lives rubbish and anxiety and stuff that we don't want to be there. The best thing is, don't sweep it under the carpet. God has not given up on you. Other people might have in the past, maybe a school teacher or just people making silly remarks about you. But God thinks you're precious. God loves you. And he wants us not just to listen over the next few weeks, but put things into practice to hear the challenge and obey it. So the message over the next few weeks might be wrapped up by different speakers in different ways. But God is saying, go for it. God is great, and over these next few weeks, we can reflect that in our attitudes and our actions. He's risen from the dead. Our lives can never be the same again. So as we go over these hurdles that our lives bring, so we can say, Lord, thank you that you're with me. Thank you that you're helping me forward through even these difficult times. And that was a message for the Revelation churches. Things are going to be difficult. But follow God wholeheartedly. Look to him. Keep your eyes on Jesus because he's the one who will help us. So let's pray. And then Jill's going to help us respond to what we've just been listening to. Lord, we thank you that the invitation is there for all of us to look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I want to do that. For whatever comes my way over the next few weeks and months, Lord, I want to look to you. Keep my eyes on you and be an encouragement where I can be to others. Lord, for all of us, we want to say, yes, Lord, do things in our lives. Lord, we surrender to you because you are our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Father, thank you that your word is powerful. And Lord, sometimes you say difficult things that are hard for us to hear. But God, I pray that you will help us to have heard your voice this morning. And God, help us not to just keep practicing the bad things, but no, God, help us to, to change as you would have us change, God. Show us those things that we need to um, do better, do differently. Some things maybe to stop doing and other things to, to keep going and, and doing really well. Father, thank you that you are our loving, kind, gentle Father and that we are safe in you despite sometimes being told to stop doing things. Have your way with us, we pray. And use this time, I pray, to cement what you've already been speaking to us about. Amen.